Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. And welcome into another thrill-packed episode of Sports Tonight College Football. I'm your host, Jim Johnson, and with us is our Baltimore Sports and Life college football guru, Mike Lowe. Mike, how you doing? It's college football week. Seriously, week one. I know we're finally here. Uh, life is good. You know, we had a we had an interesting appetizer last weekend, <laughs> uh, and I am ready to dig into the main course. Uh, you know, starting tomorrow night. Uh, you know, we record this on Wednesdays, and I know our listeners may not hear it uh, until well after that. So, uh, but you know, we got some really interesting games starting tomorrow night. So, looking yes, forward do. to talking about. It. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's touch on, you mentioned the interesting appetizer. Unfortunately, Nebraska kind of choked on their appetizer. Uh, finding a way to lose yet again to a, certainly not a world-beating Northwestern team. Uh, you know, the, the temperature on the chair for Scott Frost has got to be up to broil by now. My goodness. What, what do you make of that mess? Uh, you know, it's, I, I, I'm not surprised. Um, you know, I know yeah, you weren't we, very we high on it, I remember. Uh, yeah, you know, we previewed this game last week and, uh, I think the, you know, the line was anywhere from 12 and a half to 13 and a half that <laughs> Nebraska was giving in this game, which I, I just thought was ridiculous. It's like, do you, do you all watch this team? And, you know, it's not necessarily the odds makers, um, you know, maybe they knew better. It's more the betting public. They're trying to get a read on them. And I think just so many people were sold on how close Nebraska's losses were last season as saying, well, this is a talented team that, you know, just, you know, they're a play here, play there, short, you know, unlucky bounce of the ball, and, you know, their luck's got to change. Right. Um, I, to me, that that that's not telling the whole story um you know i just i just think there's i i hate to overuse the word culture but i i think there's just a losing culture in that program right now and uh, i'm not at all surprised uh you know i i picked northwestern um against the spread and really i'm not surprised they won outright boy and just and i i can't disagree with you but a losing culture in Nebraska. How in the world could that happen? You know, they, they you were know, upset when they were mediocre, and and now they they would aspire to be mediocre. You know, you, it's hard to say. I, I just, you know, there's no science or reason to this. It seems like sometimes I just think that there are certain coaches who are good coaches but they're bad matches for certain programs mm. and you know this just seems like it's one of those things which is weird to say given you know scott frost's history with nebraska right, right. um but and, you know some of this is on nebraska too when you look back at you know some of the more recent paths of their uh you know coaching history they tend to have a lot of knee-jerk reactions and they tend when they replace a coach they've let go they tend to just go for the complete opposite. 
Um, you know, going all the way back to Bill Callahan, who, you know, great offensive coach, um, you know, his teams gave up tons of points. And so they, they move on from him and they do the exact opposite and hire Bo Pelini, great defensive coach. His offenses were absolutely putrid. And of course, on top of that, you know, he, uh, we could describe him as a little prickly. Uh, yeah, you know, that would be flat out, flat, flat out, you know, in front of the media, dared the school to fire them, which I mean, you have to at that point. You can't yeah. have the tail wagging the dog. And so they're like, well, we need to go with the opposite of Bo Pelini. So bring in Mike Riley, who is probably, you know, on the top five all time nice guys of college football. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. clearly not the guy they needed, um, yeah. you know. Not really on the. Uh, he wasn't trending upward at Oregon State when Nebraska lured him away, and so that was just kind of one out of left field. And then they move on from him, and they're like, "All right, you know, let's just make the most obvious choice." Scott Frost, coming off an unbeaten season at UCF, yeah, this is a no-brainer. He, he it's a, a shiny no brainer yeah, yeah, it's a no-brainer choice. <clears throat> let's bring him in and. Yeah. Here's how it's gone. Yeah, and everybody um, agree. Hey, yeah, wow. He got yeah, it. Yeah, Scott Frost. You know, okay, yeah. Got I mean, it. a lot of people, you know, when they hired Riley, they're all scratching their heads. It's like, wait, what do you see in this guy? Yeah. And so they they went the complete opposite and, and just did the most obvious choice. And I don't know how much they really, you know, did their homework on, on Scott Frost as a coach. Um, you know, they... So I, I think there's some administrative uh, things that they have to overcome, too. And you know, I, I think they need to, you know, when they replace Scott Frost, just go into this with an open mind and really, uh, you know, just do their homework and, and find the right fit. Uh, I, again, I know there's not an exact science to it, but they're, they're just again they just do knee-jerk reactions and they just go the complete opposite of the guy they they let go so yeah it's, it's not rocket science but it, it it can't be as difficult as they have made it you know Jeez. yeah you know they hired these big time consulting firms and yeah. you know pay them six figure money to you know narrow down good candidates for you i sometimes i wonder how much they listen to what you know, That's hire me. I'll do it for half the price of a consulting firm. As long as you pay me and listen to what I'm telling you, I, I'll, I'll find you a good coach. You know. Yeah. Well, and and talking about making it difficult, you know, the the Nebraska job over the years has really devalued in its uh, in its appeal to a coach. So you know, they're they're going to have to get either a, a, a retread, which at that point Mike Riley kind kind of was, or uh, try to hit a home run with an up-and-coming assistant. But if they're that good, they're probably going to get better offers. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how much, you know, it, it'll probably take a coach uh, some time to get them on the bat, back on the mat recruiting models. Oh, yeah. Um, but you know, I, I look at the opportunity there. I, if I was a um, you know a head coach at a at G five or lower tier Power Five, you know, successful, who's probably on a lot of teams' lists, I I don't think I would look at Nebraska as that bad of an opportunity. 
Um, you know, you you have some history there. Um, you're great. you're in a football crazy state. You've yeah. got, uh, you know, they are willing to pour lots of money and resources into that program. Um, you know, including outside money. You know, from boosters and whatnot. Um, the expectations are high. Uh, so you know that's both good and bad. Um, you're in the Big Ten, which means you know the money's going to keep coming. You're going to be in that upper tier of you know money making schools. Uh, you're in the Big Ten West. Um, as long as the Big Ten keeps divisions, we don't know what they're going to do when uh, you know the, the LA schools join. But I mean, right now, I see no reason why Nebraska can't compete with the likes of Wisconsin and Iowa. Uh, yeah, what inherent advantages do they have that Nebraska doesn't, other than good coaching? Nothing. I, I, yeah, they, no, they really should be practically replicas of them. Yeah, and you know, I see no reason why they can't compete with the Penn States and the Michigan States, and you know, yeah. even the Michigans. Uh, you know, the only program in that conference that's just head and shoulders above everybody else right now is Ohio State. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't think. It's it's that bad of a job. I don't think it's that much worse of a job than it was before. You just got to get the right person in there, and I think a lot of coaches recognize that. And so I, I just think they they got to find the right guy, and they got to have an open mind, and they really need to do their homework on you know what you need to succeed. Um, uh, just don't make the knee jerk reaction. Well, how embarrassing must that have been for Scott Frost in the post-game presser? I don't know if it was before or after he threw his offensive coaching staff under the bus. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the offense, that, that wasn't was the, the problem. the offense wasn't the problem either. Right. But, you know, for an Irish reporter, he knows enough to say, ask him if he was going to step down. This is the opening game. We zero, and he's already getting that question. Can you imagine? Uh, you know what, what I... I love the Irish because, uh, you know, the other thing from that game, and, and this would just never happen in the United States, um, I think, I'm sure you heard the internet going out at the yeah. stadium, and I think it was early second quarter, and so they couldn't take any uh, money or charges at oh, yeah, the concession stations, and so... What do they do? They're like, well, sorry, we can't take your money, so just have it for free. Yeah. Do you think that would ever happen in the United States? And and uh -huh. you know the the reputation Irish folks have for their ability to drink beer oh, yeah. would be quite hey, the golfing task. And they ran out of beer. <laughs> no surprise there. Well, but, but, but I mean, I. I, Jim, I've been to Dublin, Ireland. Oh, it okay. is not easy to drink that town dry. <laughs> it is, that was no small task. Wow. Well, at least somebody got was happy that but day. But you know that what? I'm not sure the beer, it was probably not long after that onside kick was about the time when they really started running low. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Well, and, and you mentioned that ill-fated, dumb, uh, onside kick, and that made a, a new feature we're going to uh, put into the show for the regular season now, Knucklehead of the Week. Now, we're not hoping that people screw up, but as many games are being played, somebody's going to, and we're going to give them attention. And my gosh, it's not going to get any easier than Week Zero, because Scott Frost worked hard to get that Knucklehead of the Week, and his call for the onside kick up by 11 and getting ready to get control of the game 
turned momentum completely against them, and they were toast after that. What? I know he said, well, I thought we could wrap the game up. Yeah, but you could have wrapped the game up by kicking off for crying out loud. They were in control. Yeah, uh, you know, I, it, it kind of goes against my grain to, to say this because I actually like coaches who are not afraid to gamble uh-huh. in unconventional situations. Oh, yeah. I'm with you. Um, but Scott Frost completely failed to read the room uh, in that situation because – you know, it's one thing, say, you know, going for it on fourth down in your own territory or, you know, going for two when, you know, a lot of others might kick an extra point. Right. Those situations, they entirely come down to the execution of your players, players who you have spent weeks, months preparing for those situations. An onside kick is just completely up the chance it's the bounce of the ball i mean yeah that the kicker could have put a little more english on that but that it, it is just so completely up the chance and to do that and and here's where i think he really kind of failed to to get a good read on his team because i think anybody could have told you that an event like that happening at that moment was going to have an impact on those guys oh sure and uh, you know as much as you know, I'm sure Scott Frost and everybody on the inside of that program and locker room would tell you that, you know, what happened in the past doesn't matter. That's not influencing them going forward. Baloney. Right. I guarantee you those players felt the weight of all the games before that, even the right. ones who mm-hmm. weren't part of the program, who were wearing a Nebraska uniform for the very first time. They felt the weight of that. They felt the pressure. Absolutely, they felt it. How could they and not could be see going? They felt it, right? How could they because not be after, after that? Happened, oh, they. I mean, you know, their offense go. was doing pretty well for the yeah. most part in that game, and they just felt completely apart after yeah. that. The defense was bad for most of the game, um, so I, you know, I won't say that impacted them much, but the offense just completely fell apart. Yep. And and you could see it, and it's not that the players quit; they they didn't. They were they were. Physically, they were giving it their all out there right up to the very end. But mentally, I, I just saw it as like they just didn't think they could win. Uh, you know, when you, when you got to that fourth quarter, they just didn't look like a team that thought they could win. And like I said, I mean, it was that onside kick that really swung the momentum. Um, I mean, it was great. And Northwestern knew it. I mean, did you see that, you know, some of their drives, um, you know, it's like, well, we're not even trying to score here. We've only got a three-point lead. You know, we've still got more than half of the fourth quarter left, but we're not trying to score. All we want to do is not make a mistake because we know Nebraska can't do it. Right. We, we know they can't do it. And they, and they were right. Well, and, and go back to what you said a few minutes ago, <clears throat> excuse me, about a losing culture. And that's, that breeds more losing. Until Precisely. somebody else usually has to come in and change the culture. Precisely. And so, you know, looking forward, I know, you know, I mean, there's obviously, as as you mentioned, the talk is already there. How much longer is he going to last there? I mean, they're almost certainly going to move on from how much longer um, I did. read, You know, interestingly, the renegotiated contract, um, the buyout. It gets cut in half if he's let go after October 1st. 
that's uh, an odd clause, isn't it? That, yeah. Uh, well, and, and it's almost like, hey, we know we're probably going to, yeah. we don't know, but we think yeah. we might be firing you at some point in the season. Right. And so we'll I give mean, you a few right games. There. But yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sure, I think it goes from 15 million buyout down to um, seven and a half million. And so I, I'm sure they'll save the seven and a half million. So he's not going anywhere in September. Um, they have a game October first uh, against Indiana. Um, I mean, if if they lose that, that, that they can't lose that game. I, I mean, that would be an ugly loss. If if they do lose it, he's definitely he's gone October second, you know, or maybe even. They might not even let him back in the locker room after the game. This is sad. But the following week, they have a game. They they play a Friday night game at Rutgers, and that to me just kind of sets up as a game that Nebraska would lose. And so I it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me if that Friday game at Rutgers. I think it would be let's see first, so it would be October seventh, the Friday night. If that's the last game Scott Frost coaches with Nebraska. Yeah, you know, wouldn't it be hysterical? I, I'm, I'm going to call my shot. <laughs> I, I noticed that. <laughs> but wouldn't it be funny it's, it's if kind of after, morbid, but, after yeah. all of this, if Nebraska goes into Norman and beats Oklahoma, wouldn't that be hysterical? Well, they play in Lincoln this year. Oh, they do? Okay. Well, yeah. that, that'd be uh, And, you know, I, I I have no doubt that game will be close. Yeah. That well, will, that will close be last a, year. That will be a close, hard-fought game. Mm-hmm. Um. I wouldn't be shocked if Nebraska somehow wins, and I and if they do, that'll buy Scott Frost some juice for a little while. Yeah, I'll get into um, the season. But you know, again, if they go and stumble, you know, after that against the likes of Indiana or Rutgers, yeah. I, I don't think it's yeah. going to help them too much. I, Dead man walking at that know. point. Yeah. yeah so the, you know, they get North Dakota this weekend. Who, not to be confused with North Dakota State, they're the really? FCS powerhouse. North yeah. Dakota is nothing of the sort. So, okay. yeah, they maybe they can work out the defense. I, 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 I can't see it as being a talent issue. Um, you know, maybe it was just they they do have some new guys. Maybe there were some blown assignments, miscommunications, or something like that. But the way Northwestern just ran all over them, over 500 yeah. yards of offense. Yeah. That's and, and again, it's you know on half of Northwestern's play calls, it's like they weren't even trying to score. Um, just keep the clock so, running. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I think we've uh, pounded Nebraska into tenderizer pretty much at this point. So we'll wrap up. But congratulations, Scott Frost, the winner of our initial knucklehead of the week, and, and even possibly put Oakley Cluster with that. But we'll see how the season progresses. Okay. Now let's talk about what's coming up, and we do have some really good games coming up. The big one. Notre Dame at Ohio State. Uh, I mean, talk about marquee matchup. You know, even if Notre Dame's not good, they're still a marquee team. And they ought to be pretty good this year. They will be. I, I, I think they will be pretty good. I don't think they're the number five team in the country. Um, yeah, that seems yeah, Surprise, surprise. They're a little overranked. Um, yeah, the bigger question. Yeah, I think the uh, the line on this game is a little bit more in tune with where they are. Ohio State is favored by seventeen, which is oh. actually that that to me might even be a little too much. I mean, yeah. Notre Dame has some talent there. Yeah. You know, here's here's how this sets up. It's it's a couple of things. Um, 
you know, Ohio State, you know, they they just have a way of exposing a weak link in your secondary. They've got three to four legitimate receivers who can exploit wherever the leak the weak link in your secondary is. They will find it and exploit it. Um, and you know, of course, Notre Dame, they're they don't have Kyle Hamilton back there anymore. He was kind of the quarterback of that defense. Um, the big thing they're going to have to do is get pressure on C.J. Stroud. Now, they've got a pretty good pass rusher in Isaiah Foskey, and I'm sure they're going to do what they can, you know, run some stunts, move him around, try to get him one-on-one with a lineman. Ohio State's got a very good offensive line. They're very good at protecting the quarterback. Um, They're going to have to find a way to win those battles and get pressure on C.J. Stroud. The other thing their defense has to do is, you know, shut down the running game for Ohio State. Um, You know, people don't talk about that aspect of their offense as much, but it's very important because they're an RPO team too. And RPO is kind of the modern day version of play action. If you're you're good at the run, it really sets up the pass for you. Um, When you look back at the two games Ohio State lost last year, Michigan and Oregon, they did not run the ball well in either one of those games. Um, and so I think that's, that's the other thing they got to do on defense. Um, if they can keep it close, the defense slow them down just enough. You know, maybe there's a path here for Notre Dame because offensively, um, you know, they should be able to run the ball. We'll see if Ohio state has fixed those issues from last year, but that was their Achilles heel last year. Oh yeah. And you know, especially against the run, um, Minnesota was running the ball all over them in the opener. Uh, Oregon, Michigan, all of them ran the ball really well. They struggled with that. Now they brought Jim Knowles in, um, you know, to kind of fix that. But again, this is this is the first game. Uh, you got a whole new scheme. So again, you know, are there going to be some missed assignments? Um, you know, is the communication going to be down? We'll see. Um, if it isn't. Maybe Notre Dame can really move the ball, um, you know, kind of limit the possessions, uh, shorten the game a bit. By the time you go into the fourth quarter, you know, if they're within a score, I think, you know, the folks there in uh, Columbus might start getting a little uncomfortable. Yeah. And who knows what happens after that? That if I'm, I'm basically what I'm doing is a, if there is a path to either you know to win this game for Notre Dame. That would be it, most likely. In my mind, uh, I don't see it happening. Um, I, I definitely like Ohio State to win this one outright. I can see Notre Dame um, with 17 points covering, though. Well, and if I were Ryan Day, I'd be, you know, I'd be listening to you, of course. But then I'm thinking, if I can get some big plays early, hit them in the mouth, get up 14, 17 points take away the running game, I'm in pretty good shape. Absolutely, because, yeah, the Notre Dame's, you know, passing game, uh, yeah, you know, their, their receiver core is very unproven. Um, yeah. You know, Tyler Buckner is a dual-threat quarterback, but I think, the you know, he's much more of a threat with his legs than he is with his arm. Um, you know, they've got Michael Mayer, the tight end. He's an All-American. Um, you know, I would say he's probably, you know, he's, he's not – the guy you want to run your passing offense through. He's a great security blanket more so than anything. Um, yeah, they, yeah, I mean, they're going to have to get it done on the ground. 
and if they fall too far behind, as you say, um, you know, that wow. probably forces them into doing what they don't want to do, and exactly. that's mm -hmm. the path to an Ohio State blowout. Yep, and covering that 17-point spread. Yes. yes. Okay. Well, let's, uh, there's uh, several good games on the docket. The, the one I would pick for second best is the uh, uh, 3.30 game on ABC. ABC's got, the, got a great weekend. Uh, Oregon at Georgia. It, it's at Atlanta, but it might as well be at Georgia because Atlanta is a Georgia town. I don't mean in the state of Georgia, but also very strongly supports the Bulldogs. Um, Thank you for clarifying that. Yes. <laughs> I, I, everybody should know Atlanta is in the states. but This is Jim's uh, geography lesson for the day. Yes, but having lived in, in the outskirts of Atlanta for a while, I can tell you, even though Georgia Tech is the home school, those fans are looking at the Bulldogs. And with good reason. Well, what about good old Georgia State? Yeah, what about it? So, uh, you know, uh, but anyway, um, and if any Georgia State alum is listening, bless your heart. So, Oregon at Georgia. Any way that the Ducks stay with them? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, and, and Carefully considered, you know, they're, they're, no. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're kind of playing it coy out here uh, at Oregon as far as not naming a quarterback. But I don't see any way um, that it's not Bo Nix. Uh, mm. I think everybody is just widely accepting that he's going to be the guy. At, at most, maybe they mix in, you know, Nix and Ty Thompson. Um, you know, there, there's good and bad with uh, having Nix at quarterback. Uh, one, he's familiar with facing Georgia. The bad news, he has not had any success against Georgia. Faced him poorly. Uh, yeah. You know, he's 0-3, and in three games, he's thrown for all of one touchdown against yeah. them and has two picks. Um, yeah. you, know, the, you know, Oregon is built to, you know, they're still built from the Mario Cristobal era, which is running the football primarily. Um they do have a very good offensive line. So, again, you know, their path to victory, I think, would be very similar to um, Notre Dame's in that they've got to be able to run the ball on Georgia and kind of shorten the possessions, you know, uh, limit the possessions, shorten the clock. And, um, you know, the, the good point is they're not necessarily going against quite as high-powered an offense right. as Ohio State, um, but Georgia can still hurt you offensively. Um, the Ducks have a pretty good defense. They have some talent there, you know, especially linebacker, you know, Noah Sewell, Justin Flo, um, you know, when they're healthy, they've got a good defensive line. So, uh, you know, defensively, I think they match up a little bit better with Georgia than Notre Dame does trying to stop yeah. Ohio State. Um, I just don't know whether or not Oregon's going to put up many points. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure I see it. Even even with losing eight starters, all of them to the NFL for Georgia, um, they're amazing. just you know they just they're just reloading. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I no. <laughs> um, again, and I have a hard time, you know picking against a talented team that's getting 17 and a half points like Oregon is. Uh, but, you know, in, in this case, they're traveling all the way across the country. Um, 
you know, it, it won't be like the environment in Sanford Stadium, but they're, they're certainly not going to be in front of a friendly crowd. No, it'll be, it'll be definitely an SEC environment, I think. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I, I don't see this looking good for them either way. Well, and, and as far as the 17, their defense may be able to keep the score, the overall score low enough that they may possibly, not threaten to possibly. win. Possibly. We'll see. You know, I mean, Georgia's got a good offensive line, very good offensive line, you know, just like Oregon does. Um, you know, so they're probably going to want to run the ball too, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and, and, you know, their tight ends are terrific. They've probably got the, I mean, the best tight end group by far in the country. It's crazy. Um, you know, receivers, they've, you know, they've got some, they've had some losses there, so we'll see. Um, and, yeah, I, I think 17, I think it's 17 and a half is um, the spread in this one. That sounds about right to me. It could go either way, but my gut is saying Georgia. I, I just... With a new coaching staff, a new quarterback, um, you know, some new faces at the skill positions, I'm not really sure what to make of Oregon yet. And picking these games really is tough in week one because right. there's just so so much we don't know and so much, uh, you know, data and analysis on these teams that we don't have yet. So you know, you're you're just kind of gone with what the previews say in your gut and you know what players have done in the past, oftentimes in on different teams and different systems. Um, so, you know, week one's a bit of a crapshoot, but hey, that's part of the fun. It is. Well, another game, and we talked about this in the, during our previews, uh, Utah at, at Florida at the Swamp. So a mm-hmm. Pac-12 team going into the Swamp, but, um, it, you know, Florida's got lots of question marks, and Utah seems like they've got it together. Uh, that, that could definitely go the visitor's way. What do you think? Possibly. Um, these these are two very similar teams, I think. Um, you know, they both are kind of built to run the ball and play defense. Um, you know, both of them kind of discovered their quarterbacks in the, you know, in the middle of last season. I think Utah did a far better job uh, with Cameron Rising as far as playing to his strengths mm-hmm. than Florida did with Anthony Richardson. You know, they, they kind of tried to jam him as a square peg into a round hole, uh, but they have a whole new coaching staff. And so, you know, I think Billy Napier is probably smart enough to, you know, look at Anthony Richardson and say, here's what he can do. Here's what he can't do. I'm going to play this guy to his strengths. Um, you know, it's, it's a close line, which, uh, you know, again, you know, kind of makes sense here. It's only two and a half points. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know I gotta kind of go to I go with Florida on this one because I'm not so sure that they're really taking into account how much of a home field advantage the swamp is for Florida. That is one uh, of the loudest stadiums in the country, isn't it? I mean, you know, you, you have you know these are highly subjective, but you know, there's a reason why you'll see that place on every top ten, even top yeah. five list of toughest places in college yeah. football to have yeah, to never play. Fails. I mean, yeah. you know, when you look at you know, look at when Alabama went in there last season, and you could see, you know, Bryce Young, it was only his third game as a starter. He had some struggles in there. And that's a big part of why that game was so close. Um, you know, it was only a two point game. You know, were it not for a missed extra point, you know, that game probably goes to overtime. Um, and so Utah, you know, they don't see anything like that in the Pac twelve. 
and that kind of environment. Nothing like that. You know, the closest thing you got is Autzen Stadium here in Oregon, and Utah wow. hasn't played there since 2017. Um, so, you know, none of their players are going to be familiar with that kind of environment. Um, I mean, they say home field advantage is usually worth three points. I think it might be worth more like a touchdown in this one. So I'm actually leaving Florida. I don't disagree with you on that. I, I think you make good points, but I'm just I, – I, Florida's really got to show me something. And, uh, you know, we'll see if, if Billy Napier gets that team ready to play a sharp, crisp game on Saturday – my hat will be off to him, but I don't know. I like the veteran, the, the system established, the players established. I think Utah uh, can go in there and squeak it out. Yeah, Utah definitely has the edge, uh, you know, I think, in, in terms of obviously a very experienced coaching staff, a yeah. very good coaching staff, yes. an underrated one. Um, you know, this game is just going to come down to who runs the ball better. That's what they're both built to do. Right. They're both very physical in that regard. Um, you know, they're going to be playing in what is almost certainly going to be pretty oppressive heat and humidity. So whichever team can kind of dictate with their offense, um, you know, the control of the game and keep the other defense out there on the field, wear them down. Um, you know, everybody thinks that's an advantage for Florida. It's like, well, no, human beings are human beings. And, right. you know, that's going to get to you no matter what. Plus, I'm and it's sure a night the, game, so that'll mitigate some of it. A little bit, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I've been in Florida humidity before. Humidity. <laughs> Relentless, uh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. When the sun goes down, it, it's yeah. You know, the temperature cools, but if it's you get still, to turn the humidity like, off, yeah. yeah, it's still like you're in a sauna. But you know, it's hey, it's been ninety degrees. It's in the nineties in Salt Lake City now. So you know, I know wow. it's a dry heat. Yeah. Hey, listen, it, it was hey, we broke a hundred here in Portland yesterday. My goodness. I know it, it has been. You know, we it, summer's here. I, I'm almost thinking of moving to Alaska. I'm getting sick of this. I don't like the heat, and uh, you know, summers in Portland used to be wonderful. And you know, over the past several years, it feels more like Phoenix in Portland. Mm. Uh, yeah, Phoenix uh, with trees. Yeah, Phoenix with trees. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, uh, don't get me started. Yeah, well, let's move on. But, yeah, I, I, I'm a I feel you, but let's, let's move on. I'm a yeah. cranky old man now, Jim. I can't stand the heat. Well, I, I'm with you there. Give me, to a, give me to a more temperate climate. Well, next year, maybe we'll do this from Alaska. Wouldn't that be cool? Um, so to speak. All right. <laughs> uh, one other game we wanted to talk about, uh, Cincinnati at Arkansas, number 23 versus number 19. Two very interesting teams this year. Cincinnati, you know, Seems like they peaked last year. How much are they going to drop? Uh, and then Arkansas seems like it's kind of, they're kind of moving their way up. That's that would be a very interesting game. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Um, I, you know, my my last uh, memories of Cincinnati are Alabama just running the ball all over them. Yeah. In, that was unfortunate uh, like, for them. Yes in the playoff semifinal and Alabama really wasn't that great of a running team last year, but they had such a mismatch with them up front that, you know, despite having a Heisman trophy winning quarterback, the the easiest path to victory for them was just keep it on the ground and just pound these guys. And so unless they've somehow found a way to really improve that, 
and I'm not sure how they have. Well, now they're going to Arkansas, and Arkansas was the number seven rushing def- or rushing offense in the country last season. Hmm. Yeah, better than Alabama in that regard. So, yeah. you know, where's the path to victory for Cincinnati? I'm not sure. I mean, maybe yeah. their offense will have some surprises, and they can. Yeah, they're breaking in a new quarterback because, too. yeah, uh, new quarterback. They got a you know their leading rusher is gone. Their leading receiver is gone. Um, you know they do return a lot of experience on their O line, um, so you know that's good. Arkansas they did lose a good bit on their defense, so their Arkansas's defense is a question mark. Um, so you know I. I think the the formula is, you know, for Cincinnati, get some early scores and hope that maybe you can get Arkansas out of their game because, uh, you know, with them losing Traylon Burks, yeah, he was their entire receiving, he was their entire passing offense in terms of the reception end of it. Um, So, you know, who knows what their passing offense is going to look like uh, this year. Uh, You know, obviously I, I, I would, certainly stack the box um, and try to force Arkansas to throw the ball to see what they've got. But again, you know, you, you don't have Sauce Gardner, you don't have Kobe Bryant, your two stud corners. Um, so, you know, you stack the box, you're going to leave some untested corners out there on an island. And I think you can probably hear where I'm going with this. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I'm I going like there Arkansas. with you. Yeah, I like Arkansas in this game, you know, both straight up and, uh, you know, giving six points. Um, yeah. yeah, that's that's less than a – yeah, that's a touchdown, you know, an extra point you've got to cover. Uh, I'll take Arkansas. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be double digits more than likely. All right, well, one other thing I wanted to do is, is we're in the preview mode here. We're kind of winding the show down is – is there any particular game that you think is worth mentioning that's outside of that group that we said that uh, maybe is flying a little bit under the radar but that you think might be kind of interesting? Um, well, I, you know, our, our audience will probably know the result of this game by the time they hear it. Uh, I love the, the Penn State at Purdue game tomorrow, Thursday Ooh, night. Yes, that ought to be a good one. Uh, um, you know, I, I don't think that one, uh, I, well, I, I think it's got a, some attention because it is, uh, you know, it, it is the opening of, uh, you know, week one. Um, you know, just kind of looking through the schedule, um, you know, the NC State at East Carolina yeah. interests me. Um, you know, I think East Carolina could be kind of an interesting team. Obviously, NC State's got a lot of hype. Um, this season for them um so that's that's an interesting one and the other one i'm gonna stay in the state of uh north carolina let me make sure that game is this week is uh when unc goes to app state that's That's the one i was gonna pick yes Yes. um yeah so i think there are two very interesting matchups uh in the state of north carolina this week um and probably more so the UNC at App State. I've, I'm surprised they're actually going there. I think it's great. I, I, don't get me wrong. I'd love to see that. Um, but I'm interested uh, yeah, in that game and you know, kind of curious how, how North Carolina agreed to go all the way out there. 
Uh, and you know, to to me, that that jumped out. And I, my second choice was the NC State game because I yeah, was really talking yeah. up East Carolina. So you got to you got to East yeah, Carolina. So you got to hit one of those games, Jim. Now <laughs> uh, we're actually going to be in Maryland this weekend. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I ain't going to see the Terps then. No, I'm not going to go see the Terps play Buffalo. No, <laughs> nice. um, but yeah, the uh, and it's interesting that both of the the, the bigger schools are going to the smaller schools. Which, you yes. know, like you mentioned yeah. with Appalachian State, it's surprising that uh, the Wolfpack is going to East Carolina, although I imagine it's not that far a drive. I imagine some of their fans are going to go with them. But sure. uh, still, it's, you know, it's easier to get there than it will be from uh, Chapel Hill to Boone. But yeah. uh, even that, you, you still might see a good contingent. But, they, yeah, those ought to be two pretty interesting games. But North Carolina, you know, they, they, they tanked last year when they got a lot of hype. They're not getting the hype this year, but there's Appalachian State, and we, we know yeah. they have a history. Yeah, yeah and, you know, I think uh, last weekend they, they played Florida A&M, who, you know, they've been in the news, of course, um, for, right. you know, all the problems with, you know, the unfortunate problems with player eligibility. It sounds like they just, um, you know, it just kind of speaks to how the HBCUs have been underfunded and, doesn't sound like they have the personnel to really stay on top of all this stuff yeah. and see how that I hope yeah. it works out for for those players who you know sounds like they just got some bad advice um but you know for his under you know I mean they're an FCS program to begin with going on the road to play North Carolina and then add in how undermanned they were um you know they they kind of held their own uh, for a little while in that game, but eventually, you know, North Carolina, you know, kind of laid the wood on them. But yeah, I, I don't know. I I kind of talked up North Carolina a bit. I had them, you know, finishing third in the Coastal Division, and you know, maybe just a tier below Pitt and Miami, but somebody who you know maybe could kind of squeak their way into the top. But uh, you know, after what I saw against Florida A and M, I'm not so sure. I I would have thought they'd have handled them much more easily than they did. Well, and I I'm all in on NC State. I think they are just very very solid, very well coached. Uh, I like them comfortably over East Carolina. But boy, I'm I am not at all comfortable picking the Tar Heels to win at Appalachian State. I that that could be one of those games. So yeah, we will see. Yes, we will. Uh, okay, Mike. Any last thoughts for for the week ahead? Week one. Uh, yeah, I uh, yeah. I'm just let's go. I'm ready, <laughs> and let's. I'm I'm ready for Friday. Yo, and you know, again, this is uh you know one of the great weeks because you got games every day from wow. Thursday through next Monday. Um, yeah, it's I love it. You know, it's the one week that college football has all to itself you know no nfl and um you know don't get me wrong i love the nfl but i kind of i i just kind of love this week and i i really do as i mentioned in last week's show wish that they would kind of just expand week zero and do this at the end of august where you basically just get two weekends where you know it's just five great days back to back of you know games um I don't know how easy it is to make that happen, but you know what? If I could just wave my czar wand, I, yeah, I would do that. You still got it handy, you know, give, yeah. yeah. You know, give give college football the stage for two weeks, and then uh, you know before the NFL kind of.
comes in and takes over Sunday and Monday. Well, and especially this week with no pre- NFL preseason games competing. Exactly, yeah, they're completely yeah, not, not even preseason. I'm, yeah, that, that week zero you had the NFL preseason. Yeah. I, I don't know how big a deal I, that I don't really know. Is, yeah, I don't know how many people, people seem to die hard enough that they would pick an NFL preseason game over you know a pretty decent college game. I'm yeah, sure there's some yeah. people out there who would. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Preseason, please. Uh, I don't even. I don't even watch it. Uh, I, just, I try not to. You know, you're, yeah. you're you're watching most guys who are just going to be on practice squads. Right. Um, I I just don't have any interest. I I'm with you there, and that's one great thing about uh, college football. They don't make us watch preseason games. Every game counts. <laughs> this is true. Every game counts. So, and uh, uh, yeah, we'll see what uh, we'll see how that goes in the, the expanded playoff era. Yes, when, and uh, why don't you touch on that just a second? You uh, oh, yeah, heard some news right before that. we came we, on. Yeah, we, yeah, we talked about that offline. We haven't mentioned that online yet. Um, this just dropped uh, on Friday. Sports Illustrated is reporting that uh, the board of managers for the college football playoff, which consists not of the conference commissioners, but the presidents, a representative uh, president from each conference, uh, intends to vote on getting the ball rolling, on expanding the playoff. Um, And I didn't have a chance to read through the entire story, uh, but it's something that could happen, I think, as early as 2024, which would be a year before the current uh, playoff contract runs out. to expand it, and it does seem like they favor the the 12-team model that was uh, floated last year uh, versus uh, the 16-team model, which was starting to get some run. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But this this literally, I just saw this only 15 minutes before you know we went uh, on with the show. So uh, yeah, just something to watch there. Playoff expansion could be right around the corner. Well, we talked about this a while back. You know, the, the word was that the presidents were upset because they left a lot of money on the table. So I think they're yeah. coming back to the table and trying to pick up that money. Yeah, yeah and uh, kind of pushing there. commissioners off to the side saying, look, if you can't agree on more money, we certainly can. Right, right. We'll, we'll, we'll take the cash. Thank you very much. Yeah. All right, well, uh, that's going to wrap our show up for this week. Uh, Mike, hope you enjoy week one. And the listeners out there, if uh, you already enjoyed week one then we will come back to you to recap it next week and look ahead to let's see week one and week two would be next so we'll hit that one up uh also so uh for for mike and jim have a great week everybody have a, enjoy the games everyone